Got this one at the last minute, and I'm so happy I did, because as soon as we started talking, it's like we were old friends, and that's the best kind of interview that I can do. It was enormous fun, and my guest is Elias Plagianos. Elias is a writer, a director, a producer, a champion of independent television, more on that in a second, and the creator of a series that I've seen one episode of, and I am now hooked, and I cannot wait to see where it lands. I have to see how this story plays out, and it's got some of my favorite people in it. Richard Kind, who is in, like, everything. I remember him first from Spin City, and I've loved him in everything since, including Red Oaks and Inside Out and Big Mouth. I mean, I could go on for days about the things I love Richard Kind in, but he's the lead. It's got William Sadler. It's got Jessica Hecht. It's a story called Hudson Falls. We spend a lot of time talking about how this story came to be. They shot it during the pandemic with minimal, bare-bones Spartan crew. And it's just something where, in the first scene, Richard Kind comes on and you go, okay, you know what, this is going to be pretty good. And that's pretty much the case with that guy in everything. But we talk about the chance encounter he had with Richard that led to Hudson Falls. We talk about what it was like shooting during a pandemic. And we define what independent TV means. Now, essentially what it is, is basically just providing more ownership to content creators and skipping a step, skipping a middleman where probably it's not necessary. So in addition to that, we talk about the landscape of media development now. Yes, there are more doors, there are more avenues to get your material made, but that also means the landscape is much more diffuse. So how do you find eyeballs? And Elias has been doing this for a good chunk of time and he's got great insights. He's a fantastic conversationalist. We touch on everything from Steven Soderbergh to Quentin Tarantino, to Roger Ebert, to Ryan Murphy, to Ryan Johnson. I mean, the conversation really just sort of crisscrosses all over itself. And what you get are two people who are very enthusiastic about creating things independently and are just fans of people creating art. I cannot say enough good things about Elias Plagianos, and I'm so happy to know him now and feature him in my first dispatch from Denver Film Festival 44. This is my seventh festival. So first of all, got to give a shout to everyone who works at Denver Film Fest. Thank you for making this an exceptional festival. It's one of the premier ones in the country, and I'm thrilled I get to be a part of it once again. Special shout goes to my boy, Neil Trulio. Neil is just like a dream to work with because he knows my sensibility and he will pitch me good ideas. It was Sunday afternoon and he goes, hey, Elias Plagianos is in town. You need to talk to him. Here's why. Here's a link to the screener. Here's a link to this other screener. He did a movie he did a short film called Distemper, which is also exceptional and available on Amazon Prime. And I'm like, all right, cool, let's do it. It was like two hours notice, got up, had a great conversation, which I'm thrilled to bring to you here momentarily. First, a quick plug. If you're new here, you can check out my website. It's johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. I have more than 300 episodes. Like I said, this is my seventh Denver Film Festival. So if you're into film, there's a tab on the top of my website that says podcast episodes, and you can see all the different film festivals that I have done. There's great episodes in each one of those. Additionally, you can stay up with me on social media. J-O-A-T pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. If you're listening on a podcatcher, please leave us a rating, leave us a review. I'm on pretty much every podcatcher, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, Podbean, whatever. I'm pretty much on all of them. Leave me a rating, leave me a review, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes come directly to you. Now, that's all the plugging I'm going to do. Let's get to this week's episode. Episode 309 features Elias Plagianos, a writer, a director, a producer, a champion of independent TV, and the creator of the amazing Hudson Falls. I cannot wait for you to see it. His episode starts right now.
So I've been wanting to go to this thing. I heard about it when it was in Santa Fe. And, uh, like, I really – it's I, – I always wanted to go. And then it was in Denver. And I was so excited that the party was there. And it was amazing. Yeah. But – to go to Meow Wolf with Richard Kind is a whole <laughs> other level of fun. And it was like the whole crew and, you know, there were free drinks. And so it was it was a night. Yeah. That guy, when he comes on screen, you think to yourself, okay, this is going to be good. Like, yeah. This is going to be at least pretty good. Like, no matter what the quality level that he's in, yeah. that guy always just brings something where you go, okay, this is excellent. And I'm in for at least a little bit. Yes. Is he like that in real life? He is the most engaging person. Uh, you sit down. When I first met him, we were just at a bar after um, my friend Itai, uh was in a Broadway show. And we went out afterwards, and there was an empty seat, and down sits Richard Kind. <laughs> and he just regaled us for the entire evening with stories. He has the best stories. He's, like, in the center of show business. Like, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm so out of it. Like, I'm not really in that scene. So just listening to all those stories was amazing. Uh, and that's actually how the show happened. Hudson Falls. No shit. Was, uh, we spoke about our love for Chinatown and private eye movies and film noir. And, and then that idea of rich as a private eye to me just seems so right. It's like perfect. Yeah. If, if you could do it in, in a slightly non Chinatown, like his version of it, you know, what is, what is his private eye? Yeah. And, uh, the rest is history. <laughs> I, I feel like Hudson Falls would be like, if Richard Kind's character from Red Oaks, yes, like took uh, a different life path in a way, because totally. I've, I've yeah. only seen the pilot. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, but the pilot was exceptional. Yeah, and, like it it flew by for me. Like twenty two minutes, I go, God, this is it. There, there's only. Damn it. Like, yeah, I was yeah, upset yeah. because we got this set up on pretty short notice. Uh, oh, 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 Red Oaks or my show? Your show. Oh, okay. Oh, no, yes. Oh, well, thank you. I, yeah, yeah, yes, Hudson that's Falls. Great. Um, Thanks. No, I mean, I loved Red Oaks. Red Oaks was <laughs> yeah. like four seasons. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was... One of my favorites, actually, of recent memory. I, yeah. I thought it, it scratched an itch I didn't know I had. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and he, I mean, he's in a lot of ways kind of just the center of gravity of that show. Yes, absolutely, yeah. And so it's so cool that this came about, like your love of Chinatown, your, your love of private eye stories and stuff. So how long from that conversation to development was that? You know, I think it was like two years or a year and a half. Um, and the only reason why I sat down to write it was because of the pandemic. <laughs> and like no one was doing anything. And like I was just at home with my family and like enjoying it. But I had a creative bug. And like all, all my friends were doing like these Zoom plays and stuff like that. And I'm, yeah. I'm a very visual guy. So that's not my thing. So the idea was if I could write something that I want to watch right now. Yeah. That if I write in a certain way, we could actually film it in the pandemic, um, you know, uh, and that's and that's when I sat down and wrote this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So this is Elias Plagianos, and we just got introduced literally like five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. um, but watching Distemper and watching Hudson Falls, I go, okay, this is a guy I'm really excited to talk to because oh, you. your, your sensibility – was really great. I, the the touches in Hudson Falls, like because I'm like a craft beer dweeb. Yeah, yeah. And so like him talking in the brewery in that in, early on in the show, I go, this is like it feels very lived in. Oh, cool, man. Thank you. Which is amazing too because you said you filmed this during the pandemic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it it does feel like a little bit sparse. You know, they're outside the courthouse or like the jail or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's just two of them. There's like no traffic. There's no right. No one coming by. Um, what was that like filming during the pandemic? And how did you get it off the ground? It was it was wild. So uh, the only way, I mean, the very short version of it is, uh, it was the only way we can do it in a safe way where the actors felt. Uh, where they would trust me is if we did it with no crew. So it was just <laughs> me, my buddy Joe Gabriel, who's a great DP, our sound guy Victor, a set dresser, like to, to do things, the producers and the actors. And uh, <laughs> But it's actually something I've wanted to do for so many years because I, I, I don't like big film sets. I feel like a minimalist approach you know, lends itself to these more natural performances like you saw with Rich and Jess in that house, yeah. right? I mean, that that was just, we were so far away from them and we just let them do their thing and that's how you got the magic, yeah. Okay, 
So it, it's interesting to me, Jessica Hecht is in that, and I know her best as Susan from Friends. Sure. And then I can't remember her character's name in Sideways. Yes. And I'm going, I, I saw her come on and I go, oh no, this probably isn't good. Yeah. And then uh, Richard Kind's line where it's like, uh, how much How much do you have, I think? Yeah, yeah. And he goes, half as much as when I met you. Right, right, or right. Whatever right. it was, I go, oh no, she's playing another one of these characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But yeah. she's so good. Like She's she, amazing, yeah. She, she carries her own sort of gravity with it. When you are working on a Spartan set like that with a minimalist crew, right. how does the process necessarily change for you? Um, you know, the, the process changes because you have a lot more nonsense responsibilities. Like <laughs> I lost all the lens caps, right? Like, like things, <laughs> things that normally you don't think about, yeah. like, um, these li- little things like I, we all had to split up whose wardrobe. So like I had Rich's wardrobe, the other producer had Jess's wardrobe. Like okay. there's just all these things. And when you're directing something, you need to be so focused and then you need to shift focus to the l- little things. And that's, oh, yeah. that was hard. That was like, that was really draining. Yeah. I, I believe that. I mean, you, you are going from an artistic mindset to almost like a craftsman work-like mindset, right. which when you're doing all those different types of jobs, man, it can be hard to be present in each one of those jobs because you're probably doing like a, a zillion different things, right? Right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah. And then, and you realize, oh, that's why there's a second AC, right? Like there's there's <laughs> a job and there's a very specific reason for it so I don't lose lens caps. So. Right, there, there's, that's why you have grips. Yeah, 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 yeah. right, right, um, right. And, and gaffers and things like that. Yeah, so, yeah. But you're doing all those jobs. Man, that's... It's amazing. Was it easier to get funded that way if you're going to do it on this less of a crew? Great question, dude. Yeah. So that was the, the thing is, is that the people who financed it really put a lot of trust into me. And, um, when we got closer and closer to it, it was like, wait, if someone like just has, um, a cough or the sniffles, like this was like, like yeah. the first week we were allowed to shoot anything in New York City. Okay. And wait, when was this? Then? Uh, this was like June, uh, whatever, two years ago, whatever. Yeah. I forget that. Uh, well, no. So it'd be June of 2020. June of 2020. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, like a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and this was still at a time where we're like, um, uh, rubbing alcohol on our groceries. Like we didn't really understand (laughs) what this disease, what this virus was. Right. So, um, yeah, we actually had to, um, enact protocols with SAG. Like no one knew what they were doing. Uh, Mm. so we had to invent things and, and that, and that was a big challenge. We did, uh, a film for the Denver 48 hour film project that I co-wrote. And it was called Spotlight, but there was, by that point, so this was in like September, I want to say, by that point, uh, there, there was like safe sets. I don't know right. if you, like, if you're familiar with like those protocols and stuff. The, uh, you know, the contact stuff was not nearly as big, but you know, no one was masked up on set because you can't have a film like with everyone just in masks. Like right. you're, you're telling a very specific type of film when you do that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, God, I can imagine that, especially not knowing. How did you earn the trust of the actors then in, in doing yeah. this? Well, it was good because I have like an acting troupe, as you've seen from my shows. Uh-huh. That like I, I, I bring uh, a group of actors who I work with for a long time, and we have a really good relationship. We're like a family. And then every now and then we bring on new family members. <laughs> so it's like, you know, um, I worked with uh, Tara who uh, worked with Jess and she, she was like, no, trust me, it's going to be good. He, you know, so that's, that's how you build, you know, trust is by having like, very long relationships with actors who will advocate for you. Okay. Yeah. That, and that goes both ways because you advocate for these folks. They, you increase their visibility. You, you, uh, embolden their CV. Yeah. And so, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. I haven't heard a ton of that. I mean, you, I suppose you hear about that with like Ryan Murphy doing like American horror story where it's a different story every year, but a lot of the same people. Right. Is that, that kind of the model? Yeah. Whenever I write something, I, I do have actors in mind and then, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they're unavailable or so then you're sort of forced out of your comfort zone and then you bring in this new member who, but it, it takes a sec, right? Like yeah. Rich, Rich, it took him until we finished it to really fully trust me. Like, you know, there were moments on set where, you know, plus like he's been in a million movies and I've, I've not done a million movies. So you also have to, you know, tell him, listen, I know you're probably right, but let's, you know, let, let's try it this way. Let's try it that way. Let's, you know, compromise on things, mm. but he's very passionate and I would rather have someone who gets in your face every now and then, and you know, he wants to do a good job rather than people who phone it in 
I, they don't know their lines. I can't tell you how many sets I've been on where there's a cue card, like like someone like looks down and is just reading their lines. And uh, oh they're, god, really? Yeah, and there are actors out there who they have little like earpieces and like there's some like you know schmo that's reading the lines on the side. I mean, the things that happen on these independent film sets are insane. Well, that's like that's like the stories you hear about Brando when Brando stopped yeah. caring. <laughs> right, right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of Brandos who are less not as talented out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he can get away with it. He's Marlon Brando. Right, yeah. Uh, but um, so I was hooked on Hudson Falls on the first episode. How many episodes are there going to be? And uh, like, is it just like a season or what? Yeah. So um, uh, we really like that 22-minute drama format. It's, it's six by 22. It's every season is like a chapter in a novel, right? That's the mm-hmm. idea because it's called like Hudson Falls, a Ray McLean, you know, story. So every season he's going to solve a new mystery with another group of, you know, characters oh, nice. and okay. stuff. Yeah. Okay, and then one of the things I see attached to you a lot as as I was reading about you this afternoon is the concept of independent television. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, sure. What does that yeah. mean to you and what does that – when people hear that, what do they think? Yeah, so I, that's interesting. Like I think they associate with in, independent film a lot. And, and what I think people think about is just doing stuff outside the studio system. Okay. But, you know, independent television – Television is something that's been around for so long and always goes through a development process, right? Like everybody – like you bring – you have to do a pitch deck, which I think is silly. (laughs) And like, you know, you you have to sit in a room with these like suits and like give them, you know, these – Give them the sizzle, right? Give them the sizzle, right? (laughs) Oh, well, what's the show about? It's this plus that. And I just don't think that's that's the sort of work I want to do. So we're trying to – you know, change things and uh, where we could create things outside the system without their fingerprints on it. But nice. they don't like that, honestly, <laughs> like because there's a lot of people whose jobs they will not have their job. So right. it's every it's it's a struggle. We're really close, especially with this one. I think if we break through on this one, I really hope it's going to kind of open the doors for all these other really great independent shows because there's nothing you could point to like, oh, this was made independently and now it's on HBO or, you know, Netflix. So you still need like a distribution partner is what you're alluding to. Correct. Right. Do you have one for this show? We have uh, an offer from a streamer um, and and the way we're we're doing this model with them, if we do it, is um, so they have the U.S. rights. And then uh, we own the foreign rights, and we and then they get sold. But we own the show, like me, the actors, the producers. It's our show. Okay. Yeah. So like, you compare that against something like I don't know, Friends or whatever, right? You know, which is owned by I think Warner Brothers, right? So like, that's the old model, and exactly. That's, that, and that's what you hope to avoid, exactly. So basically, you're set. You're like. You have to come up with a – in the traditional way, you have to come up with an idea, then sell it to someone who then owns it, right? right? And then either they put it on their network or sell it to someone else because obviously Warner Brothers was not owned by NBC. Right. Okay. So you're basically just trying to skip a step here. Yeah. We're, we're – it's like skipping a step, but it's also like – Creating a new model, okay? Uh, because I know a lot of creators like all these contracts are written with this with this language where it's like, okay, now you know Warner owns this forever in perpetuity, you know, throughout the whole universe, <laughs> right. and it's like, really? Because like, why? Why should you what own for? it for? Yeah. So it is about that, and also like you know people like Soderbergh, like he owns his own films, and now. Uh, he's going back and like re-editing them. A lot of them that you know now he's he's a much more mature f- f- filmmaker. So now he could go back and and like revisit. But you could never do that if you didn't own it. So okay, yeah, yeah it's like uh, it's like the Donner cut of yes. Superman two, right? Or like the Snyder cut of whatever that was. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, Justice League. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. his his movies don't particularly speak to me, so I haven't seen either version. Yeah, but I hear the the Snyder cut is actually better. It's so much better. Really? Yeah. I mean, like I like. I mean, listen. I'm, I'm like a nerd, so I was like, I like, you know, it was fine the first one, but then you see his version, and it is this epic, magnificent thing, and you're like, oh, this, this, yeah, now I understand. Okay. So, yeah. One thing I don't get is, I well, I, I suppose I don't have this impulse, and I haven't had the level of success that no, that would necessitate this, but the impulse to go back and recut your old work. Yeah. That to me speaks with a a deep level of dissatisfaction with the meddling of those above you. Is that yes. sort of what it is? I think so. I, I think there's a lot of pressure um, and there's a lot of cooks sometimes okay. and, you, and you have to make compromises you might not want to. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes good sense. Well, what you're describing to me speaks to my own heart because I've been an entrepreneur now for the last six and a half years mm-hmm. 
And I mean, I answer to clients and they, they pay my bills, but I'm not like married to them, which, right. which I really, really like. Um, it sounds like you have a very similar kind of DIY ethos. Right. Um, how did you develop that? Where did that come from? Um, you know, I think, I think, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, how did I do it? So I think after my first feature film, that was an indie film, mm-hmm. uh, I went through the Hollywood system and I, and I had, I had some big projects and then they didn't get made, right? Like they were, they were casted, there was budget, we made money on the script, but like it, it didn't get made. It didn't go. It didn't right? go. Like no one saw this thing that we made yeah. and, and that was heartbreaking. And, and there was a point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to quit. Um, and, uh, what, what, what was your plan? What were you going to do? Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows, but it was a very dark period in my life. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then what I decided to do was just approach projects in a very holistic way, which I thought is much more healthy, which is like, you're not just doing something to, uh, become famous or get it, the industry to notice you. It's like, Oh, this is a story you really want to tell. Uh, this is going to make you a more interesting person. Like, you know, so that's my approach to projects. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so when I started, uh, I started out doing public, I had a public access show. Okay. And nice. I did all the jobs myself, right? Yeah. And, and I like that. So the only way you could do all the jobs yourself is if you do it outside the system because they don't trust you. They don't want one voice out there. They want mm. control over it. So that's why I, I like to do things. And, and have, have you found that it's rewarding? Like do you, Very rewarding. Okay. Yeah. One thing I was thinking about was, I think this was right around the time when there was all that fighting between Jay Leno and Conan O'Brien yeah. about you know who's going to take over The Tonight Show and whatever, right? The ecosystem in the landscape is much more diffuse now. Mm-hmm. And I think... What I read at the time was you're not going to see people make Jay Leno level of money anymore, right. but you're going to get a lot more people who are creating things that they like or you know find some level of success, but it's it's a little bit more democratized, right? Um, you, yeah, you don't need these kingmakers because the the barriers to entry are much lower, right? Uh, right. So have have you found that to be true? And could this model have worked prior to more diffuse content streams? There's no way it could have worked because, like, you, you yeah. only had, like, X amount of channels and, like, those channels could only have X amount of pr- programming. Now you could you could have endless programming. There's every day there's a new streamer out there. Um, so, yeah, no, this is new. But technology is the thing um, that is allowing us to tell our stories for much less money, for much less risk, so you have more control. That's the real thing. You give up budget and luxuries for control. And, and I'm okay with that, but I know a lot of people who aren't. So (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that's tough as a consumer is there's so much competing for my attention at all times. And the, the choices are so endless. You know, I could spend every free minute I have between now and my death, catching up on all the very important prestige TV that I haven't watched yet. Yeah. How do you fight against that? And how do you find an audience for your independent stuff? And I, Obviously, you're not going to tell me which streamer you're, you're negotiating with here, yeah, yeah. and I, I, I totally respect that. But you know, how do you build uh, buzz for it? How do you how do you find eyeballs to get your product in front of? That's that's a great question, and it's something that uh, I struggle with a lot. Is that do do we need more movies or do we need more shows? <laughs> like re- like I mean, now there are catalogs. Like when we so were, you're asking a very existential, question a very existential that. question. But that was that hit a spot because it's like there are so many good things. Like if you go on uh, Criterion, you could be on that thing all day long and yeah. find an amazing movie from 50 years ago that you would not have found. So I think, you know, the, the important thing is, like, you need to tell a personal story through your own viewpoint that is so different um, and unique that, you know, someone else out there will connect, you know, to it. So, mm-hmm. but you're right with the streamers. That's part of the thing is it's like, okay, so if you just buy this thing, are, is it going to be on the front page? And this is all part of the yeah. negotiations. Like, or is it just going to be through a search thing? No one's going to search for Hudson Falls. I doubt anyone's just going to put in Richard Kind. I mean, I mean, hopefully they, they might. Yeah, but we have a uh, Distemper is on um, Amazon Prime, which I also watched. Yes. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and uh, so and and that's doing pretty well because of the subject matter. You know now. So. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Distemper uh, covers African sleeping sickness. Is, yeah. is that right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and it, it's short too. Like that. That's what really surprised me. You tell a really compelling story in like 17 minutes. Oh, thank you, man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when was that 
Uh, and and that has an interesting origin story too, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that was um, that was ba- uh, so the script was a winner of the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation uh, TV. They they've sponsored and given grants to a lot of really big Oscar winning films, and this was their first project in the TV world. And they they didn't really know if they wanted to do it or not, so they presented me with a challenge, which was uh, okay, we'll give you twenty five thousand dollars to produce a TV pilot. That's uh, based on a script that you don't know what it is. Jeez. Uh, oh, and I was like, this sounds like a really fun – I love science. So I'm like, this, if this works, it could be cool. And I was like, as long as it's not a period piece because there's no way I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> but then huh, – Surprise. Yeah, yeah. But then the story about sleeping sickness was just so compelling. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I think, I think we could at least make it feel like the time period. And we sort of did it the same way where – you don't see the outside world, right? No. It's just like, you know, characters existing and, you know, your imagination fills in the rest. Aside from the, 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 the Congo, which was filmed on uh, a little stream off of the Hudson River that looks really, really? exactly like the, the Congo. That, uh, it's doing a remarkable disguise there. Yeah. It was, we were shocked too. Because, <laughs> like, if I had to guess, I would have thought that. If it's not the Congo, I I thought the American South. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. It, it reminded me of like Louisiana or Mississippi right. or something. Yeah, but I I never would have guessed New York. Yeah, with that locations to do these kind of projects, you really need to spend a lot of time finding locations and then begging them to let you do it for nothing because you can't build sets and you know all <laughs> right. that. So the the uh, production value is you know. Very important. Uh, it, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and I imagine with something like that, I mean, you, you talked about like, you know, please don't give me a period piece as long as it's not that. Yeah. Um, some of the challenge with that has to be in costuming. Exactly. In, yeah, locations, because that building, I imagine, isn't modified a ton. At all. Like, at all? Yeah, yeah, not yeah, at all? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like period pieces are really interesting too, because you're either going to do all that stuff kind of guerrilla style mm-hmm. uh, or like analog style. Right. Or I've seen like making of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Like where half the set is not even half, like a quarter of the set is built and everything else is CGI'd. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you yeah. go, whoa, like I, I wouldn't have expected that at, in the least. Yeah. I mean, they, what they did on that show, I have a friend who, who was on it uh, and what they did with the technology to create that world. And yeah. it looks so, and it looks and feels so real. And I'm like, I can't compete with that, right? <laughs> no. So I'm not, I'm just not gonna show the world, right? Like, I'm just gonna show the rooms that they exist in. And I think if, if we keep it on longer lenses and stuff, we could cheat it. And, and that's, okay. yeah. So one of my challenges when we, I mean, what, what you're describing too with distemper is kind of what you do in the 48 hour film project. Right. Which is, you know, you draw a genre out of a hat. Yeah. And then they give you the, the prop, the line of dialogue, and a character that you have to use. And however you do it is up to you. Right. But you go, I don't know what kind of movie we're making. Right. And so for you, I don't know what script I'm tasked with directing. Yeah, yeah. And would you do that again? Uh, you know what? I was, I was offered to do it again and, uh, it, it didn't work out that great. So no, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's an impossible question to sort of answer in the dark. Right. But, but I do like what you said about the 48 hour films. Uh, that's like, that's your practice, right? Like that's like yeah. that, 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 that's your workout for when you get presented with one of these insane challenges. You, you're like, I could do it because I did that 48 hour <laughs> film thing and it looked great. And you know, yeah. So. Yeah, and I mean, we found some mild success with some of the films that we've done here in Denver, and it more than anything, it's just fun. And I think the, the difference is, you know, we're doing it just sort of as a larf, like it's something to do with our friends because we all love making movies and we right. love movies, and you know, anytime you can put your little stamp on it is interesting. What I'm interested in is when you're doing this at this level, independent TV. You know, what are the economics of that? You know, how mm-hmm. how how is the you know, how is the viability career-wise? Because everyone's got to pay rent. Yeah, and, right. And so, you know, how, do, how are the economics different from independent TV versus the traditional model? Oh, well, I mean, independent TV is like independent film where you don't do it for the money, honestly. Sure. Like you, you just um, – you try and get people so you don't spend money, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's really it, right? It's yeah, like – sure. <laughs> uh, But there, there is no – 
even I've there have been some success stories, but they were uh, crowdfunding things. Yeah. But even them, uh, I have friends who do it, and they're like, "Well, but after you make the T-shirts and you do all these things, like there's also not that much money left to do the show because you give have all these giveaways yeah. and stuff." I just gave to uh, a documentary about um, a recording studio up in Fort Collins, and like. For a hundred bucks, like everything they're sending me feels like a lot, right? Because I've done promotions and giveaways and stuff, and I'm like, how much are you guys spending on swag here? Yeah, Jesus. yeah, yeah, right. So there's some point where it's like, are you just like a swag factory, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah? But one one year at Denver Film, and I, I I'm sorry, I interrupted you, no, here, no. but I was talking to it was the makers of the documentary of about Wax Tracks, uh, an independent record label out of Chicago. And so I had Jello Biafra in here from the Dead Kennedys and like Groovy Man from uh, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. And he said, the reason you make an album is so you can go tour on it. And the reason you tour on it is so you can sell T-shirts because right. that's where you actually make money. And I go, so bands are like T-shirt companies? And he goes, kind of. And I <laughs> go, man, that kind of makes me sad. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah. That's yeah. weird. But it gets to the point that you're describing. Right. Anytime you're doing this yourself... Maybe the thing that makes you money is not the thing that you that you're doing or that you think you're doing that's making you money. Exactly right. And, Weird. And and a lot of people do this. You know, also as like a calling card. You know, like oh they see this and then you get other jobs that are paying <laughs> jobs from it. So yeah. But but we do we do hope to change this because like once we set the model and and it's and it's a model that I think almost any independent film could do. It's like a million dollar season. Uh, okay. And I'm and I'm happy to share that because I think it's very doable to do six 22 minute episodes for a million, uh, and have it be as good as anything else on you know TV. So. You, you'd never know watching it like that that it's that you know it's made like for a small budget. Oh yeah. Oh oh thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah yeah. Because the the lighting is spectacular and like that's one of the things that always is like a giveaway for me in like right. independent films. The lighting and the sound. Yes. Right? right. Because it, it, you need a good sound designer. And 100%. Yeah. In, in the 48, we have a sound guy in our back pocket who is just amazing and always like sound design is so underrated because no one thinks about it until they notice it. Right? Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah, like yeah. this totally thankless job. Yeah. Well, like, you know, sound in general. And then like if you, if, if you're on set, sound guy doesn't do his job and then <laughs> you have to loop and like you, we, you don't have the studio looping systems. It looks all dumb. So yeah. Yeah. Those are the things, right? You need to the other thing is that's nice about doing things like we do independently is um we don't have like a timetable. So I could really spend a lot of time editing and find things that a normal editor wouldn't find, like moments oh. or so on our show originally it was called Hudson Falls and we had this gigantic uh waterfall and like a dead body on it and it was going to be this big opening. Uh but then as I was editing we don't really care about the waterfall and, you know, we don't really care about the mystery. We care about Richard Kind and we want to connect with his character. Yeah. And that's what actually created the nonlinear way we told the story because I wanted to put that scene right up front. I love nonlinear stories. I kind of yeah. like just getting thrown into the deep end yeah. and, and figuring it out because in a lot of ways that's more rewarding as a viewer right? instead of like – and not to, I mean, this is comparing apples and oranges here, but like when you watch the MCU, right? Like they all have a very kind of B plus sameness to them. Exactly. Yeah. Where you go, okay, like this is, this is good comfort food. Yeah. But like it's not terribly challenging. Yes. Right, 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 right. So I, recently though, I don't know if you've seen the MCU TV shows. I think they're I've doing some interesting things. So yeah. yeah. I mean, I haven't seen all the films either. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So like there was, there was a long stretch during Endgame where I was just painfully bored. <laughs> because like, who's this guy? <laughs> well, they're referencing all, all these things that happened in movies I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, here's the thing about that choice, though. They made those movies geared towards like the hard, the most hardcore fans of those properties. Right. And that was the correct decision, clearly. Right. Like, I'm not that target audience. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Not everything has to be for me. Exactly. And right. I find when people get pissed off, it's like, well, that, you know, that's no good. It's like it's not for you, exactly. and it's not supposed to be. Yes, yes. I the whole the entire internet is just based on people who think that everything is made for them, and it's like, oh, this stinks. No, it's just not your thing. Like <laughs> you know, it's not bad. You know, you just don't like it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like, and it's not even that I don't like it. I just I don't really relate to it. Yeah. Like, um, for a time when early in our relationship, my wife. We were just dating then, but she liked the movie Beaches. Okay. I watched it and I go, this is really not for me. Like, right. Th I don't relate to this story, but I thought about it. And I go, why would I get mad about that? 
Yeah, how'd you go online and be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, but like people burn a lot of calories. Oh, yeah. Worried about that. Like, do you encounter any of that in your work? Like, do do you have uh, a community of haters out there that you have to kind of reckon with? You know, I'm I'm not famous enough, and my stuff isn't like out there enough. But I'm I'm sure there it it, it will be. You know, eventually. Oh no, no, that that, that isn't true. I made on my first feature film I made a million years ago. Like the comments are like the nicest, sweetest things, and like the most painful, hurtful. Like you know, what this guy should never hold a camera again. And I mean, now I watch it, and I'm like, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't have. <laughs> But no, it is hard. And it's also hard, uh, when people watch things for free. Like, I get if, oh. if you pay for something and then you want to bitch about it, fine. Yeah. But when something's given to you for free and you feel the need to, like, be mean about it, it just seems a little bit excessive. Just so. let it pass. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Like, this has been coming up on my show lately. I interviewed the CEO of Modern Market. I don't know if you've ever eaten there. It's, no, no. It's really good. Okay. Um, they got a bunch of them now. But he said, bad news travels 10 times faster than good news. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, because think about this. If you go to a restaurant and you have a nice time or even just an okay time, who are you going to tell about that? Right. No one. Right. right. Maybe one person. Someone asks you about it, whatever, right? He's like, but if you have a bad time, how many people are you going to tell about that? Right. It's a lot. Yep. Yep. And, like that's, I, I've been intentionally trying to flip that narrative ever since he told me that. So mm-hmm. where like I champion things that I really like and I that's point great. people to it, but it has to be an intentional choice because everyone is in the promotions business without realizing it. A hundred percent. Like yep. especially online. Right. Right. So like people will tell me they enjoy something I wrote or an episode I did, but they'll tell me in person. I'm like, can you put that somewhere public? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. <laughs> So that others can, yeah. yeah. So other others can share in the joy and right, like, and so I mean, I think that brings us back around to what we were talking about in terms of independent television. You mm-hmm. need like champions. You need champions, a hundred percent. Yeah, and you need like Series Fest and Denver Film, and uh, there uh, uh, we went to Cannes Series this year in, wow. in France. Uh, which was amazing. How was that? That, it, it was the best week of my life. Like, honestly, it was, it, it, the shows are wonderful. Yeah. It's like the Cannes F- Film Festival for TV. Oh, sh- uh, nice. Yeah. And, um, and, and it was nice because everyone there really appreciated everyone else because we all come from different parts of the world and all our stories are so different. And then we get in a room and we start sharing ideas and, and they see one actor they like and I see an actor from their show and, and we're still friends and, you know, um, and that's, that's the special sauce I think that, you know, uh, festivals need and why it's an important place still. Cause, you know, I, I think a lot of festivals don't help, but there are some <laughs> that, that really do. So. How's your experience been at this one? Amazing. Like, yeah, this, this one matters. It's, and this one's nice because, uh, Series Fest works with Denver Film Festival yeah. so nicely. And it's, it's one of the most amazing regional festivals I've ever been to. Like, it could be the best regional one. And then Series Fest has that kind of, you know, national, international reach. So the combo of these two, you know, organizations yeah. working in tandem is really special. That's awesome. You, you mentioned Can. And I finished earlier this year Roger Ebert's book. Oh, yeah. Life Itself. And I don't know if you've read that, but no. it's tremendous. Okay. Um, and he talks about Cannes a lot and how magical it is and how much he loves it. And yeah. The things that he's seen there and the people he's talked to and the experiences he's had. Yeah. Um, it, to your point, it sounds like a magical place. Yeah. Like it, it inspires you to create because, you know, everyone there, because they really appreciate it. They love movies. Like you go into a hotel and there's like giant movie posters from the sixties. And, oh, that's awesome. and also, you know, my show is, is very, has the hint of that new wave. Like, you know, they love yeah. the seventies private eye stuff. So it, like it was the perfect place for it. When I read it and it's like Hudson Falls, a Ray McLean. Yeah, story. sorry, yeah. I, you know, it reminded me of like almost like an Elmore Leonard novel. Exactly. Yeah. Is that like? Is could you draw a direct line there? Yeah. Well, you could. Right. So the idea was, um, uh, so what if like a a private eye, like a Columbo guy from the seventies, was brought in and had to start solving these more modern mysteries and like oh. you know. Uh, he he's gonna grow also like you know so there's a nice character arc involved with the mystery so yeah yeah i well i i cannot wait to find out where it's gonna land oh cool because i gotta finish it now oh great thanks man yeah (laughs) which uh which is so cool um i also read this book recently called uh best movie year ever and it's all about the films of 1999 yeah uh by brian raftery yes and that that book was amazing because i was 
1999, I turned 18 years old. Okay. So yeah. I was like right there, and I was like this huge film nerd. Me and my friend used to subscribe to Entertainment Weekly. Sure, and, yeah. You know, like we, we would always devour that and then talk about – like I read reviews of films I have no intention of seeing. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of geek I am. Oh, I love it. Did you grow up – like what, what got you into film initially? Like have you always been shooting stuff like on your parents' camcorder or – Yeah. I mean that was like – you know, a lot of people are religious. I'm, I'm not, but – uh, like the cinema is my church, right? right. That's where I go and I sit and I, I find out who I am and I'm able to find out about other people and be connected in a way uh, that uh, other things, you know, don't do it for me. But yeah, I was the kid who was making movies with G.I. Joes, you know, and, nice. and um, it is so nice now. We are at a place in time when the technology is so amazing where now we could make movies ourselves. Like, uh, in Hudson Falls, like I literally did everything. Like I, I did the credit sequence. Like, oh wow! And and you, could... dude, the credit sequence is cool. Oh, like, with the maze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the maze and like that. And I had that idea, and then I just made it. So like, and I didn't need to go out and like explain to someone what I wanted it to look like. You yeah. could just do it, and you could try and fail because it's free, right? But when you know you hire someone and you pay the money and it doesn't exactly look like the way you wanted it to, that's heartbreaking. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a terrible feeling. My best friend and writing partner, Jason, he used to like get the camcorder out and make these stop action movies. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like you're describing with action figures and stuff. Yeah. And they would have these stories and these twists and turns. And I'm like, how are you doing this? Yeah. 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 Uh, but like, I imagine now that would be much, much easier to do. Um, you also touched on something else. Like I'm not terribly religious either, but like, I love punk rock to my soul. Yeah. And there's a band called The Bouncing Souls, and they have a line in a song called Kids and Heroes. And it's been going around in my head lately, but it's uh, who I am, who I was, who I want to be. Yeah. And through film, when you look back at your back catalog, you kind of get to see who you were. Exactly. And so, like, when I, if I ever go back and listen to old episodes of my podcast, I almost never do that. But if I do, I'm like, oh, man, that's what I was going through at the time. Yep. So... There's a notion that every film you make is kind of autobiographical. Do yeah. you agree with that? Um, I, I think the good ones should be. Yeah, I, I think like if you don't uh, approach your stories like you're trying to work. I don't, I don't like when people do it very surface though, right? Yeah. Like, right. But it, like there's a subtext in there that you're trying to figure out something either about yourself uh, I think that's, you know, special. And you do say that in my work, like, I mean, there's definitely things I'm doing, but it's, it's in a very genre based way. So you wouldn't know it, but I know it. Right. You know? It, it, and sometimes I think that manifests in probably dark ways too. Yes. You know, like if you think about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right. Both Spielberg and George Lucas were going through a divorce. Yeah. So they yeah. just put <laughs> poor Kate Capshaw through hell. <laughs> Like, it, totally. and if you watch that movie, she's, she gets the worst of it. Yeah. And so like, clearly they're working some stuff out. Right. Like, yeah. But you're right. It's subtext like that. You'd never know that. You'd be like, this is a movie about divorce. Yeah. No, it's an Indiana Jones movie. Right. But yeah. But for them, they can look back at that moment of time and being like, wow, I was really angry. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. God, that's so weird and, to think about. But uh, you know, that's what I don't like going to film festivals and seeing people though just being doing the celluloid psychiatrist thing right where it's like okay bud like we know you broke up with your girlfriend now you made a whole movie about it now i have to watch it like i mean uh, you know (laughs) i mean geez yeah there's a level of self-indulgence that you want to avoid yeah yeah when you're doing something like that but thematically i would say you know things from your life do tend to emerge like i i couldn't I think it was an interview with John Favreau who said, I couldn't write swingers now. Right. He's yep. like, I, I'm, I don't live that anymore. That's yeah, not yeah, my yeah. life. Like yeah. making swingers would be impossible for me. Right. But so, but swingers is a g- good example of that's a good version of that, right? Yeah. Like that, yeah. that is, is such uh, an amazing film that we all can connect to and uh, understand. But then someone else sees that and then they want to tell their swingers and it's like, no, no, he did it. And I don't think anyone could ever do it as good. So you need to do something different, you know? Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, after Pulp Fiction, everyone was making their own knockoff right. of Pulp Fiction. Oh my God. Endless. Yeah, like yeah. two days in the Valley and we're here in Denver. So things to do in Denver when you're dead. Right, like, right. Yeah. You know, about these low lowlifes all kind of meeting their fate over the course of a couple of days. Right, right. And you go, well, yeah, but Pulp Fiction was kind of. Like right. that was it. Right. The gold standard, right? Don't yeah. <laughs> Tarantino is definitely one of my guys. Uh who were your guys growing up? Tarantino for sure. Yeah. Uh Soderbergh. Like he's oh, I mean, God. he's my hero and, and it's and it's wild because um 
Um, Richard uh, just uh, spoke to Ed Solomon, who's been writing a lot of you know Soderbergh's things. But uh, Soderbergh, he does um, he's he's inspirational to me because he uses technology in a way to like you know propel his narrative and and like again do it in a minimalist way. He he edits. He shoots. He only uses one light usually. Wow. Um, and and we we tried the same thing on uh, Hudson Falls. We we use like two LED lights maybe, but we tried to use mostly natural light. Um, so he's he's the guy. But I also loved Robert Rodriguez. Mm. Like you know, like whoever yeah. is a real independent guy who's just like I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and I think more people should. I don't know. I mean, we're like kind of older, but. I see a lot of young kids who just sit at a coffee shop and write these scripts. Okay. And and they're they're scripts that you need a lot of money to make. And I would ah and I would love to to see them tell smaller stories um that they could possibly shoot themselves or else you're just writing just for the sake of writing but but a script is is a visual thing so it's I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, when I when I write I'm not as good at the visual, like, because I, I write for a living, so the words are really like what drive me. Yeah. Um, and I need someone to balance me out, sort of visually. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's an interesting kind of challenge. Soderbergh is really interesting to me too because I picked up on this. I think I read about it first, but it was after I saw Logan Lucky. Yes. Soderbergh loves documenting how money moves around. Interesting. Yeah. Like, it, if you think about the Ocean's movies. There, there's a lot of contrivance around where this money is going, how it gets there, and the yeah. processes surrounding it. Logan Lucky's kind of the same deal, you know, right. like the Talladega Super Speedway. Right, right, right. Because, like, the, the whole story centers around how, how are they going to get this money out of this racetrack. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then Soderbergh is also responsible for, I think, probably my all-time favorite movie scene. And that's an out of sight. Yeah. And it's that whole elliptical thing, you know, with... um George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. The greatest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that that scene will stop me dead in my tracks every yep. time it's on. Genius. I, yeah. Yeah, he's he's unreal. Like, that, <laughs> I, I haven't heard him talk much, but I think that's by design. I think that's his own choice, isn't it? Uh, no, he does Or things. am I just, like, uh, you, do I have a blind spot here? Maybe, yeah, yeah. No, he does. He does. He gives a lot of info that's really helpful and useful. But, right, you're not going to see him on, like... Jay Leno or like it's actually you like he's on his friend's podcast I think okay yeah so I just I have to dig one layer deeper yeah 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 yeah. but he's (laughs) he's uh but he's a cool guy too in that he does all these jobs and he has different names for like he 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 does he makes up names for uh him as like a cameraman him as an editor (laughs) yeah yeah but he just does it all so yeah wow that's like uh WC Fields used to do that too oh really yeah when he used to write I think he wrote under the name Charles Bogle Okay. So, like, W.C. Fields was the performer, and so he didn't necessarily want people to know that he wrote it for whatever reason. Yeah. So he would write under this pen name. Okay. And so that's funny. Yeah. And when you're doing those different jobs, you almost have different personas, too. Yes. You – and it's so great because, like, you – uh, when you're like a director, you're like, God, that writer just sucks. Why do you put me? And you're like, Oh, it's me. So it's okay to change things. <laughs> and then you're at the editing, you know, station, yeah. and you're like, That director, God, if he just got that shot, but it, it's you. So it's it, it's cool because it, it allows you to be really hard on the other jobs in a way that <laughs> you might feel bad about if sure. you know it wasn't you. <laughs> right, but when you're wearing all the hats, you can go, God, what was I thinking when I wrote this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, but yeah. I mean. The the other axiom that I've heard is a movie is written three times. Totally. Right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. once when you write it, once when you shoot it, and once when you edit it. Yep. Right? Yep. So, I mean, how different did Hudson Falls look when you initially wrote it versus right. when it was finally all put together and, and cut together? Great question. It's very, very different because once you get actors like Rich and Jess and Bobby Burke and Sadler and Chike, yeah. you know, you got to give them room to do their thing. And, like, if they if they don't like something... You know, you have to allow them to I- improv and be yeah. spontaneous. And, and on set, you're like editing in your head and you're making sure, okay, I love this, but is it going to fit? Blah, blah, blah. So it's the, the theme and the heart and the, the overall narrative is very similar and the beats are all there. Yeah. But I think people who care too much about the language of things, I, I think, I don't know, it's not, it's not my thing. So Right, yeah. Don't, don't be so precious with it. Yeah, yeah. I think people think... That's the other thing. It's like, you know, no, no, like you probably don't always have the right answer. Be a little bit humble and like, yeah. you know, explore things. Sometimes you're right, but sometimes other people are right too. Yeah. 
you, you brought up William Sadler, who, um, I mean, people probably think of him in Shawshank first, yeah. which Shawshank is one of my favorite movies still. Um, and I'll watch the four-hour version on TNT, like with commercials and everything. I, yeah. It's just that kind of movie. But one of the things I loved him in most, it's <laughs> it's a weird, like, I don't call it a guilty pleasure because I don't feel bad about liking it, yeah. but it's kind of out-of-the-box choice. I loved him in Demon Knight. I was... So many people say that I loved him in that film too, I, and yeah. I love Billy Zane in that movie too. He's amazing. Like that, he's two in the scenery. Yeah, yeah. No, he's great. But that whole series of those those like Tales from the Crypt movies were yeah. so good. <laughs> I, I, yes, I, <laughs> I mean fun, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're a lot of fun. Like Bortello of Blood is good, except Dennis Miller is like way too smirky in it. <laughs> yeah, it, that's that's um, a product of its era for sure. <laughs> Oh, God. Can you imagine trying to make that movie now? Oh, like, well, I mean, say that about most of the movies made in that like time period. Too. Yeah. But you know what's sad, though, is that like, you know, there were some just like w- weird like movies that would never get greenlit now because everything yeah. is so, you know, structured. Like, you need to do this movie for this reason. It's got to be based on IP, blah, 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 blah. You yeah. can't just write a weird movie. Yeah, very rarely. It's... um it, I think that's why, and this was here at Denver Film a couple of years ago, but uh, Knives Out was such a revelation. Oh, so good. I mean, Because, Ryan, like, yeah. that's not based on anything. Yep. Right? Just, like, straight out of Ryan Johnson's head. Right. And so. and it was a huge hit. And uh, so, you know, that was made independently. So when they oh, right. when they sold it to Netflix, it was, it was like a cash, you know, giant windfall. It was great. Wow. That's amazing, man. All right. Well, I know you got places to be. So this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Where can cool. people find you? Where can they find Hudson Falls? Any of your work? Anything you want to point to? For cool. Uh, yeah. The, the easiest thing is uh, to find me on my um, Instagram, which is at DirectorNYC. And uh, if you want to find out more about Hudson Falls, just go to um, HudsonFalls.tv. And we try and update that as things happen. And uh, Distemper is streaming on Amazon Prime. You could just search for Distemper, D-I-S-T-E-M-P-E-R. And uh, my website is my long Greek name, EliasPlagianos.com. Don't even try it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what. I'll do the work for people, and I will link to it in the companion blog piece. Amazing. That's at johnofalltrades.us. Also, in the show notes, no matter what podcatcher you're listening on, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, Audible, what am I missing, Pandora, I'm on like all of them. Right. So, but you'll find uh, all the links there. So I'll make sure that people can stay up with you. Elias, man, what a pleasure. This was, this was a great chat. Your work is exceptional and I hope it finds a huge audience and I wish you nothing but continued awesome. success. Thank you. This was so much fun, John. Thanks, brother. And that'll do it for episode 309 of the John of All Trades podcast with Elias Plagianos. Man, what a cool dude, right? Great chat. Great fun, incredible vocabulary, terrific conversationalist. I hope big things are in store for him. Be sure to check out Hudson Falls. We gave you the links there just a second ago. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. In addition to this show, I produce six other shows for clients. So if you have an idea for a podcast, I can help you get it off the ground. I can help you show run it. I can produce it. Any role you need me to fill, I am John of All Trades after all. Hit me up. J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. We'd love to talk to you about it. Our sponsor is 4Degrees. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're building a website, doing some sort of campaign involving email, social media, online, advertising, marketing, whatever it is, 4Degrees can get your message in front of the people who need to see it most at a cost you're really going to love. The number 4, D-E-G-R-E. That does it for my first dispatch out of Denver Film Festival 44. Fantastic. What a great lineup this year. This is one of my favorite times of year for the podcast. I love talking to these creators. Everyone is so energized. It's a fun, fun time. I cannot wait to show you what I've got coming down the pipe. So stay up with me on social media. J-O-A-T-Pod is the handle. I'll be announcing shows there. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. See you back here very soon. And until I hear you again... Say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.